Welcome to episode 23 of the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. My guest today is professional wrestler Jamin Olaventia. But before we dive into the interview, I'd like to remind everybody, please check out popanimecomics.com and follow us on Twitter at popanimecomics and like our Facebook page, Pop Anime Comics. So without further ado, let's dive right into this interview. So how were you first introduced into wrestling? I guess you could say I was introduced by my older brother. I was three, he was like five, and I saw wrestling and I said, I'm going to do that. It was my first vivid childhood thought. I saw it and knew I was going to do it. So what were you watching when you were growing up? We were watching WWF. We had a, uh, what you call back in the day, I don't even know if you ever heard of it, is a cheater box. And these cheater boxes were able to get free pay-per-views. So growing up, wrestling was always around. We always had cable. So it, it was one of those things where pay-per-views were always on and it was always in front of us. So Wrestling was pretty inevitable. Like, I, I knew I knew for a fact that I was going to be doing it. We were watching the In Your House pay-per-views, and I mean, you know, holy smoke. You know, to go through the history is crazy because literally I've been watching wrestling since the late 80s. Were there any particular wrestlers that you modeled yourself after? No, I, I modeled myself always after myself, if that makes sense. I always was inspiring myself to be my own unique person. And as a child, I was developing that attitude uh, all the time. I was always looking for ways to... Funny that you, you asked that question, because what people do is they say, oh, I want to be just like Shawn Michaels. I want to be just like The Rock. I want to be just like Stone Cold Steve Austin. When you do that, you model yourself in a way like them. But I was always against that idea because I was like, well, what the heck? What's the point of this if you can't be your own guy? Like, I always just thought of myself as that as a kid. You know, I was imaginary, I was creative, and I was extremely quiet when I was a kid. So I, I was stuck with this these imagination ideas about myself. So it was really the idea of just developing stuff along the way. Like, I would imagine me being in a main event against Shawn Michaels. I would say, okay, if I was in there with this guy, what would I say about him? How would I say it? I was always kind of involved with knowing that I could be in those situations. Now, outside of wrestling growing up, were you athletic? And if so, what activities were you doing? Very athletic. Athletic my whole life. You know, I come from a big family, so a family get-together would be about 20 kids. Especially when your family, there was all types of sports you would do all the time. So, yeah, I played hockey for a little bit. I did football. I did a little bit of everything, man. Track, powerlifting. In fact, I was a New York State powerlifting champion all three years of my last high school year. So that was kind of cool, too. Uh, to accomplish little things like that. But no, my whole life always very athletic. I mean, it, that stuff was always in my life. But the, the reality of it was for me, I remember my family and my cousins and my brothers, they enjoyed doing the, the football thing and the hockey thing and all these other things. But for me, it was the wrestling thing. It was always like, out of all these awesome athletes that we were, I was the least athletic and I was still athletic. But my ideas were always focused toward professional wrestling. Literally, my whole entire childhood was focused upon professional wrestling. Now, you debuted very young at the age of 17. When did you start to train for wrestling? I started training when I was seven. It was introduced to me. Here's my thing, man. Everything in life that you see in front of your eyes, literally, literally, is a projection of you. And understanding that idea gives you always the understanding and power and confidence to know that you're molding your reality. So for me, I always wanted wrestling. I always needed wrestling. And someone came up to me in high school and just approached me randomly and just goes, hey, uh, you uh, you want to be a wrestler, right? And I said, yeah, they're 
you're like, oh, they got the school opening up called Empire State West, which uh, you may or may not have heard of that. It's all around now. It's doing very well. So kudos to them. But I said, yeah, sure. I'd love, yeah, I'm going to do it. So of course I went and harassed my mother and begged and pleaded her to sign me up for wrestling. And that's what I did. And here we are now, right? So it, yeah, I started in uh, with Empire State Wrestling. I was there for about a year. We do shows, you know, a couple times a month and they always drew really awesome. And then I met these guys called uh, the All-Nighters and they were our trainers. And they took a liking to me and they helped me get to England in my first year of wrestling. I was just a kid. But uh, they got me a booking in England. Went to England for some months and uh, we did about 17 shows a week. So to talk a little bit about Empire State Wrestling, how did you find your tag team partner? Empire State Wrestling was a group of guys who were all awesome dudes, very creative. It was ran by a guy named Scott Heim. You may know him, may or may not know him as Johnny Puma. He was a comedian. He, he was the guy, he was the mastermind behind all the stuff. So when I was told that I was going to be in a tag team, I actually was not thrilled because I had this idea about how I saw myself, but I went with it, and it actually was one of the best things ever. And we were called the New City Thugs, and we were basically guys who, you know, acted like we were from the hood, but we weren't. But it caught on so good that we ended up being the most popular guys when when, when we came out. That was a cool thing. Empire State Wrestling, had, had, it was just a, an amazing place, and still is. I, I, I go back from time to time because the people there are just awesome. So um, it's, it's probably some of the most passionate people you'll ever see in the business. And in ESW, you won your first gold. How did that feel when you won your first tag team title? It was cool. Um, but for me, man, honestly, I always knew I was worth a title, worth a whatever. Um, it was never shocking to me. Like, I was never shocked that I got a title. If they said, hey, you're going to win the championship tonight, I was like, yeah, I know I am. Because I know what I was always worth, you know, and that sounds a little egotistical and I, I don't want it to come across that way. But the reality is I was so confident in myself. Those things, when they happened, it was more expected. It wasn't like, oh, this is cool. Oh, you know, I, I really never had that happen to me, to be honest with you, uh, throughout my whole career. Because everything I had experienced and have been experiencing is everything that I always knew I was going to. And there's something comforting in that, knowing that. So to talk a little bit about your England experience. It was a few months and it was 17 shows a week. We would do three shows a day. There were these things called holiday camps. And they were basically resorts where people can go and take their families. And wrestling was just one of the the main things there and we would literally do two to three shows a day and what i mean by that and what that entailed is that we would do one show at like noon and then drive to another show that had to be at three and vice versa and then one at six so it would be like noon three and six and and like i said it was like two to three shows like some days would be three some days would be two one would be like one at noon one at 6 p.m it was awesome though i, I mean the experience like looking back i wish i picked up more over there because i was just so fresh into the business i didn't even really know much either you know looking back i'm like damn but at the same time it was an awesome experience it was everything that was expected of me so when i was experiencing these things i was like this is freaking awesome England was awesome, too. Now, when you were in England, did you notice a difference between an American style of wrestling and an English and British style of wrestling? Yes and no, because at the time, I was so new to the business that 
it was easy to teach me something because I didn't have a preconceived idea. They'd say, hey, this is a British style of doing it, but I didn't know the difference between a British style or an American style at the time. You know, I just wanted to get in the ring. I just wanted to bust my ass and rest. So I, I really didn't know. I didn't I didn't see the styles of that. I really didn't. And you know that when I came back and, and did ESW or Empire State Wrestling, as you know, and did other bookings in the area, I saw how skilled I was. That always was the safe one. The more experience you get, you're just over-prepared for certain things. But really, you know, they use the word over-prepared didn't really happen until I hit Ohio Valley Wrestling. How were you introduced to the promotion of Ohio Valley Wrestling? Okay, so I came back from England and I had saved money and I knew OVW was where, by, by the way, when I was in high school, I would look up WWE or WWF, whatever, and I was like, how do I get there? And I never understood how to get there. So, but then one day on WWE's website, it had a link OVW. It didn't stay there long because I recall trying to go back to it from the WWE's website at the time and they didn't have it so they like, took it down so I don't know if they were just experimenting or what but either way it was on their website for like a day I just so I'm, I used to be on that stuff all the time so I clicked on OVW and see John Cena Randy Orton all these guys that you see today and uh, they were just younger then and, and I was in high school so I'm like okay so it's saying it's the developmental so I was just interested in all that I was like okay I gotta get there so how do I get there I'm looking up stuff and I I sent them a, a package video. It's so funny because I saw it years later. I sent them something and at the time Carlito just debuted. I didn't know how wrestling business works but I just like, I took a picture of me in my house and I sent OVW package thing and I told them about my story and how passionate I am and I told them I wanted to work with Carlito like I want to be his manager or something or a tag team like I was assuming I can just talk my way into this and of course they never got back to me going back to OVW and how I got there you know once again I saved my money so I already knew I was aware of OVW so when I was in England and the money I saved up I was I said okay I'm gonna take I'm gonna go out on a whim and at the time I just started college I was studying psychology and I, I was like I'm gonna totally drop out of college you I just started it. That's what I did. I was missing courses because I was in England. I was already kind of breaking the rules on the start. There was really no question. I knew when I was in England, I was going to go right to OVW. And that's what I did. Me and my buddy who had trained me and got me to England, we went down to OVW together. And I started in the beginner's class. At the time, I had enough money to pay for all the tuition of it. It was really just the idea of just training my butt off every day there. Uh, There was a beginner's class. Started in the beginner's class. I lasted there for two weeks. You know, that was the one thing England gave me. When I went to uh, OVW, I don't know if I was necessarily quote-unquote good, but I had an idea, and it was because I just trained a lot in England. So, once again, I felt like I was prepared on some level. So, by the time I got there, I, didn't, I only lasted in the beginner's class for two weeks. They said, hey, you can go up to the intermediate class, and that was Rip Rogers, who ended up really being my mentor, you know, throughout my whole career on some level. He showed me the idea of just being a badass in the ring and having emotional emotional intelligence and, and and that to me was all just fascinating and, and he was such an asshole too by the way he wasn't he was a hard coach and, and I mean that in a good way he really centered us he really taught you your craft wrestling you go to wrestling schools and what Rick does is he just makes you wrestle doesn't matter what the deal is he gives you as much experience of just going 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 that you as an artist it's easy to perfect these things it was easy for me to get into any situation 
in any type of match. And at the time, I just had the OVW. I had my first dark match, WWE. And, and that's something the OVW provided. It opened a lot of doors for me. So really making the decision to just get up and do it made a huge difference in my life. And, and, and you know, I'd say that to anybody. It's, you know, so like, anybody knows that they don't really understand they're creating their reality, you will find that you can get anything you want. So I really learned that. And that was an exciting time. Because when I had my first dark match, it was like on Sunday Night Heat with Val Venus and Viscera. And I was, it was like me and Jay Bradley. I think that was the first time I met him. We just went out there and it was a cool experience. You know, for an 18-year-old kid, that's amazing. You know, I just got out of freaking high school. I just started college. OBW was really providing those things. And Rip Rogers was really providing me with a sense of wisdom and, and knowing how to go out there and be a great performer, be a great wrestler, really. So to jump a little bit into the future, in 2007, you were in a decent-sized feud where you won mm-hmm. your first tag team titles. How did that match come about? I think Al Snow was writing or Paul Heyman, I forget. It might have been both, actually. But either way, at the time, it was unheard of that non-contract wrestlers would uh, get an opportunity. And I was doing a really good job there. I made it to all the shows. I mean, I was probably wrestling about five days a week, six days a week. I was really putting the effort in. So, of course, I was being rewarded for that. And I think it was Al, actually. They, they decided to put the titles on us and feud with the James guy of our boys. And that was a great learning experience too, because I didn't, you know, those guys were pros and I didn't know anything about the business. And to this day, I thank them for, for being so patient with me because I was young. But me and my partner TJ, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It was, it was just an awesome experience. You know, it was just, once again, it was, it was me just kicking more ass when I knew I was kicking ass. So I was pretty proud. And then in 2008, OVW and WWE split their working partnership. How did that affect the entire locker room as well as the show? Well, it affected everything because it confused people. You know, the contract guys were leaving. Anybody that was non-contract, which was, I, was me and a lot of guys. At the time, Joey Mercury was there, and he was not on the contract with WWE. And we all made a decision one time after a show. It was our first show with no contract guys. They wanted me to make me the guy at the time. And Joey was helping out with that process. And Joey, by the way, Joey Mercury really helped me in my career. I'm always very thankful for him. Me and him got in a feud right away, and he really, that guy really taught me a lot. It was a tough time because we felt like we had something to prove and time went on. We were doing good but then people weren't showing up as much and it wasn't as exciting to, you know, they they had to, it was like all these new characters they were developing because anybody that uh, by the way, when WWE left, there was only a few guys that were non-contract wrestling on the OVW television show with the contracted guys and that was me and a few other guys and so the crowd was used they knew who we were so OVW was banking off of us in a way but they didn't know who the rest of these guys were and, and some of them just weren't good at all some of them weren't ready it was a hard time because we had to figure out um, how can we draw how can we do good and, and what inevitably ended up happening was I believe it was in 2009 I mean I remember you know when you're on TV on a weekly basis and it goes from 300 people to like 27 in, in a year's time it's a little uh, scourging and I remember at that time I was so confused because I didn't know what I was going to do but I knew I wanted to be for me it was a I had my daughter and I WWE didn't have a set development plan yet. They were moving the guys, but they didn't have an actual system where there was a training class and this and that. So 
I wasn't willing to just get up and move either because I didn't know exactly what was happening. They didn't, nobody knew anything. So the idea was just keep an OBW afloat and I left for a while. I, I, I think it was like for like, it wasn't long. I think I say it was long, but it wasn't. It might have been like three months. I went away for a while and I rejuvenated and, and a few of the other guys came back and I, I remember at the time, in between that time, there was a thing called AWE starting up. We were focusing on that because that was another opportunity and it was a paying gig. So we, we took less time away from OBW. But I, I remember I made the decision to go back to OBW and I was excited. And and uh, when I came back, I remember the fans were so excited. There was like 30 people in the crowd and they were just so excited to see me. And I remember I, I took on this upon this whole new attitude. I said, okay, I'm going to. I'm going to effing raise this company up. And me and the guys collectively ended up doing that. We ended up drawing awesome. And I mean, since, since 2010 and on, probably till last year, I left in, uh, I left OVW in 2014. Up until last year, I mean, we've been doing great. I guess we did something right. Now to talk about some of your accomplishments in OVW, the highest amount of reigns for the television title. Do you feel that when you first won the title and then when the feuds that ensued helped to raise up, you know, and draw higher numbers? For OVW? I think what drew higher numbers in OVW was my competitiveness with everybody in the locker room. I was the smallest guy, but I was the most competitive. And there were a lot of other guys who were coming in, and we all became a family, but we ended up being very competitive with each other in a healthy way. And I think our performances were just getting awesome. I think from the way we were all creatively working together, and you know, let me let me be a reminder here, or not a reminder, but let me make you aware of something. We had our hands in everything. And so, you know, Danny Davis was running OBW and he, he had Al Snow come in from time to time and help and write and there was even a period when he was there for a minute you know with DNA but before that it was just kind of us and figuring it out I mean we were writing TV me and the guy and when I say me and the guys it was actually one of the guys was assigned to it but he of course outside of wrestling we would all go over each other's houses and we would talk about business we talk about how, how can we make it better so there was a lot of competitiveness and a passion and need to draw that well so and, and making decisions like me being the television champion. I'm sure it was something from Danny Davis that had to be approved, but I knew when it was presented to me that I was the guy that I was going to, I was like, yeah, I, I, it makes sense. And it was funny because I was television champion for so long, so many times, and they would never give me the heavyweight championship. I had such an issue with it. I had a chip on my shoulder about it because I was the best there. And what I mean by I was the best there, I mean, when I walked out there, people were on fire for me. And I always saw that. I said, these people are on fire for me. You, you, you would think I was John Cena, you know? And, and on some level, I am those type of guys because that's what I was producing. And I used to have a chip on my shoulder on the fact that they weren't highlighting me the way I wanted to. And then eventually, of course, as you know, and, and we'll, we'll probably get to as time went on, that ended up overtaking everything because I had a fan base that was just too big to ignore. So that was really cool to experience that, I would say. And uh, obviously, uh, which led me in the future with, uh, and then TNA came in and they wanted to make uh, one of the TNA guys a champion. Uh, instantly, it was back to competitiveness. And I I like that. And here we go. Then I had my championship reign. So let's talk a little bit about your championship reign. Doug Williams obviously is one of the best competitors in right now, you know, in the indie circuits. So how, how do you feel about your entire feud with Doug Williams? It was awesome. Doug Williams is a guy I respect. Uh, he's a guy who I look up to and it, it was cool. You know, it was, a, it was an unfortunate thing with me and Doug because we didn't really get too much time to work with one another as much as I wanted to. But I felt honored to wrestle him. What was good about Doug was 
was at the time we were the quote unquote top guys, but we didn't have anybody that was better than us, that better us. So when Deb came in, he really he lifted me up on another level. And you know, when I go back to Joey Mercury, he did the same thing for me back in the day. He he brought me up on a whole nother level. There's people that were there to, to help you and, and Doug was one of those guys that got me on another level. So to work with him, uh, by the way, he's a horse in the ring. Like he, he could just he's a badass. He's a straight up badass. To be a badass back with him was fun. And then another one of your major feuds regarding the World Heavyweight Championship was with Marcus Anthony. How did that happen and how do you feel about that feud? Mar- Marcus Anthony was probably one of my hardest opponents I've ever gotten into the ring with, hands down. Like one of the tough legitimately one of the most toughest dudes I've ever gotten in the ring with. And I didn't know how tough I was until I fought a guy like him because he was that tough. Like I used to say, holy cow, how am I walking today? He's a brilliant man in a lot of ways because he brings an emotion to the game that I love. He was in the ring. Like I said, he was he was a beast. He, it, you know, I didn't know if I was going to walk out of there alive for real. It was, and, and that's not a knock on him. That was just the experience. And and it, it was he brought that realness to him. He brought what a Brock Lesnar brings to WWE. That's what Marcus Anthony brings. And I respect that because I enjoyed that. I enjoyed to thrive and put myself in situations that were dangerous like that because I knew it was putting on a good product for people. And I also knew that I, I can come out safe even when I was not sure if I was going to come out safe. And throughout your entire OVW tenure, do you have a favorite match that you were a part of? Man, that's a really hard question. I don't. And and it's because I've had too many memorable matches, too many to even count. And like that's like me asking you what favorite song of all time. You may give me one, but deep down in your heart, you're like, damn, but that one's pretty good too. A question like that's really hard to answer, I feel. I, I don't feel like I can give an answer that would um, really honor everything else that I've done to everybody else because it's been that awesome of a ride. I'll say that my most favorite time in Ohio Valley Wrestling was when I was my championship reign because every match I had, literally, we, I was working four days a week, was solid every single night. I don't think I had a bad match during my title reign and that made me feel proud about something because everybody in the locker room was all together. Everybody was in sync. Everybody wanted to be the best match on the card and that was just a very competitive time. So I'm, I'm really, when I think about, you ask me about our best match, I say best time was probably here. And all the times were great, but that was a really awesome time. Now, just recently, you became part of Global Force Wrestling. How are you approached for the roster? I think it was before Global, the name Global Force Wrestling was even announced. I think there was just a rumor going on that Jeff Jarrett was opening another thing. And nobody knew what it was or anything like that, but I was very proactive. And I had uh, emailed him, and all he said was, he says, you're already in my database in touch I've heard of you and that was it it was very short and I didn't think anything about it you know a year later he announced Global Force Wrestling and and then I, I hit him up again I, I said hey remember me yeah but you know I'll contact you some other time it wasn't time yet and I forgot what it was but it was very short and he just said oh thanks you know thanks for your message but we'll contact him then. well fast forwarding probably to the beginning of the year he had uh, gotten in touch with me and from that point forward we talked on the phone and we discussed some things and some ideas about bringing me on board a part of his project and it really didn't leave with anything else other than him just saying well you know I'm not 
not sure, but let's see if it works out here. And I said, okay. I, I wasn't here nor there with it. Here we are now. Then I got a call from Sanjay Dutt. said, hey, man, let's do this. And I said, all right, let's do this. And how does Global Force Wrestling differ from Ohio Valley? I mean, in a lot of ways. In the most simplest fashion, I could say it is just talent. They're just getting talent from all around the world, from everywhere. So there's a lot of variety of guys, and that's exciting. And, and for what you're going to probably see in the future, I would just expect a lot of cool things, you know. I don't want to say anything or give you any ideas because Jeff uh, is a genius, and he has awesome things up his sleeve always. And they're so awesome that we don't even know much about it at all. So he, he's got a lot of good things on the way, and I think you're going to get a really awesome product from Global Force Wrestling. I, I just I, I would just say be patient. And do you find it easier or harder to wrestle in a six-side ring, or does it not make a difference? Uh, six-sided ring was weird, man. I'll admit, I've never been in a ring like that, but I'll tell you what I do like about it. It feels like I'm in like a UFC octagon. Like, I like, whenever I'm performing, to me, it feels like an actual fight. And I take it that serious. I get ready. Like, I actually do all the preparations I would for an actual fight. I do that. That's what I, I you know, that's what I liked about the feeling of Global Force, because they, they have this, this fighter feel to them. I don't know what it is. It feels different. And I can get on board with anything that feels different, you know? Because I'm different, and I feel different, too, when you watch me perform. So that's kind of just the idea. Now, outside of wrestling, you've done some stunt work. How did you get into that? My stunt work situation wasn't something that I had said I was going to do or wanted to do. It wasn't an aspiration. It wasn't a goal. It wasn't a thought. It goes into what I was kind of saying earlier, man. When you when you are following your passion in life, you, you receive a lot of fruits of things, and this was one of those things that happened or actually the day I was driving with my buddy from Buffalo to Louisville, moving there, we got a call on the way, and they asked if we wanted to do stunts for the Dukes of Hazard because they, they can use wrestlers. Yeah, we were like, okay, sure. Well, we had to drive from Buffalo to Louisville and then Louisville to Louisiana all in one day. So, so we literally, I moved from Buffalo to Louisville, and we dropped off our stuff at an apartment that we had got. And then immediately went right to Louisiana. It was like a nine-hour drive. Somehow my buddy was able to uh, help us out with this deal. So by the time we got there, we drove up on set. And they said, are you on the list? And we said, uh, we said, yeah, our names are this and that. The guy looks at the list and he says, well, you're not on the list. And we're like, well, yes, we are. You know, or we should be. We, we were called by this person. And he's like, I'm sorry, you're just getting on the list. So at that time, I was really upset. So I was like, well, shit, we just drove all this time to this. Tell us no. So we were told no. And my buddy goes, he goes, hang on, we'll figure it out. And said, it was like a huge field. So there was many different entrances you can enter. So we said, okay, let's just try entering in a different way. So that's what we did. We parked and we just walked around and we acted like we, we were supposed to be there. And it helped out a lot because when we were walking around, someone goes, hey, are you guys wrestlers? And we're like, yes. He goes, yeah, we've been looking for you guys. You guys are late. And we're like, well, we're, we're not on the list. And he said, yes, you are. And we said, no, we're not. And he looks at the list and he says, oh, you're not on the list. And we were like, yes. So it was just an interesting time. We did stunts, man. I got in a car and they attached my car to a truck. And this is for Johnny Knoxville. And then they, they had my other buddy do it. He had blonde hair. And they had many stuntmen, by the way. It wasn't just like me and, and my buddy. It was like there were, there were other guys who looked like the actors there. But other things like crash and burn things, <laughs> I guess that was us. You know, there was a bar scene fight we were a part of. And it was two days. And what I really 
actually recall from that, and it's so funny because as I think back now, I'm like, wow, it's really hard to remember. It was like a dream, you know, like I didn't know anything about the Dukes of Hazard, and I don't know, I was a kid, you know, I, I was just a kid that was getting, like, quote unquote, lucky, and I'm just doing stunts all of a sudden, you know, I didn't choose to do it, I didn't know what the Dukes of Hazard was, and I wasn't a fan of it, I was just kind of like, okay, I'm just going with well. And my buddy who was with me, who actually trained me, once again, he 10 years on me, you know, so I just followed his path, and that whole thing, but it, it was cool, man, hanging out with, like, Burt Reynolds was an awesome dude, Johnny Knoxville didn't spend much time with him. But, you know, everyone was fine. It's a cool experience. But when you ask me about it, and I actually think about it right now, it's really hard to remember it. I find that interesting, you know? Life is dreamy like that. But it was a cool experience. And also, you do motivational speaking. How did you get into motivational speaking? Uh, I got into motivational speaking through talking to schools through Ohio Valley Wrestling. They had a program for a summer. This was back in, I want to say 2009. They had a program where they had us on a schedule. We got to do that every day at different schools. It was really cool. I found a passion in it. I was talking. You know, my friends would talk, and they're like, yeah, be positive. And I'm like, well, it's not just be positive. It's put yourself in, in a mood of just always gratitude and feeling good. And, you know, I, I had to get detailed. In. And when I was doing it, I remember realizing, wow, I got a passion for this. And I remember also being scared of because I said, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I kind of like that. That was kind of cool. That was kind of cooler than wrestling in some ways. And, it, and to me, it was really all the same thing. And my whole philosophy is, as long as I'm here and I'm alive and I'm living, I'm just going to affect people in a good way. And that's just the best I can do. And I guess that attitude fell into place when I was just talking to these kids and I found how fun and natural this could be for me. I'm a student of the game. And the thing with me is, we say motivational speaking, but the real thing for me is I'm just like each and every one of you and I'm learning too. And when I'm doing that, when I'm doing any type of public speaking, I definitely make sure to hear out other people and learn from them. It's this whole idea of like connection with human beings, with other people. And you know, my wrestling career has been a quote unquote spiritual journey for me because I've discovered a lot of things about myself and a lot of gifts that I have within myself. And I think that's an exciting thing about life. By the way, I think that's everybody. And just wrestling has been my path to really show me all these cool things. So taking me into motivational speaking, you guess you could say, just an exciting time, you know? And once again, I'm honing my craft in this. It's fun to dabble into this because the real thing is I know I can help people and it's my intention to help people. And that's important. Whether it's coming through a performance in professional wrestling or a talking in front of 5,000 people or talking to two people or talking to one person or even talking to you right now. It doesn't matter. My my whole philosophy and idea and beingness is motivated and fueled by helping people in some form. And that's fun for me. So before we get into promos, do you have any advice for anybody who wants to get into the wrestling business? Yeah, my advice to anybody that wants to get in the wrestling business is to stay humble and understand that life is an illusion. Not just wrestling, life. Look at your whole experience, treat it as such. Therefore, you won't take everything so serious. And the problem is in wrestling, for me, what I've seen, I guess, is just everyone's very ego-driven and very insecure. And there's nothing to be insecure or ego-driven about. And I want to be fair when I say this. Today, 
I, I don't see it like that. I really don't. I feel like this is a completely different generation that is very positive, and I think that has something to do with how life in general in front of us is changing in a more positive direction. So I'm really happy to see that wrestling is going in a much more positive direction. It's not as ego-driven, but anybody getting into the business, I would advise you not to get caught up into the idea of thinking your shit doesn't stink because you will get eaten up real fast. And, you know, why create that type of energy for you and others? I would just avoid just getting full of yourself and stay hungry and don't get discouraged. It's like anything, you know, you can't experience things and then get upset that it didn't go a certain way or how you wanted it. Because the reality is, unless you experienced it, you don't know anything. So the idea is just get as much experience as you can. Get in that ring as much as you can. Do your promos as much as you can. I really advise anybody getting into the wrestling business because here's the thing if you're passionate enough then you will get the physicality of it down and the psychology but for me it's everything is a promo because if wwe can have a guy that can speak and sell something you got yourself a winner and that my friend is why john cena is at the very top every single day because he knows how to speak now how many people do you see like that today and you can have your opinion on that i'm not asking for the answer but what I'm saying is there are guys who are stepping up to the plate and doing that. So my point is I would speak as much as possible, perfect your craft in that, and perfect the art in that, and, and, and be as loose as possible. Don't try to be a character. I would advise to be yourself and just enhance yourself with more confidence. That's the idea. And talking is everything, man. It really is. I can sit here and talk to you about how important it is to talk about this right now. And, and I can get into a promo right now if I chose to. I'll just give you an example to create this. Now, if I were to be on the phone with you as I am and be doing this interview with you as I am and be saying this interview and these words in a certain pattern and form as I am, then I am showing you right now how fast that I can mold my words into anything. And it's not about the idea of it making sense or not. It's the idea of being able to be comfortable with doing things and saying things in a certain way so that it does project to people in a different way because that is what is what changes people. Giving people the idea of other possibilities subconsciously is the idea. So, and that, what I just said, is a promo in itself. Do you have anything you want to promote? Uh, Pro Wrestling Tees, Facebook, Twitter? Pro Wrestling Tees, Jamin Olivencia, Facebook forward slash Jamin Olivencia, Facebook, my webpage forward slash uh, NU, and then Focus Energy. And that's my webpage, which you can find on my Twitter handle, which is Jamin Olivencia. Also, check out my YouTube channel, which is also NU and then capital focus, all caps. So, check it out. Check out uh, what I'm doing, my videos, and also check out my wrestling. And also, check out my life because I only wish people the best in theirs. And I will check out yours as well. I appreciate everything. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. And remember to subscribe to this podcast so it finds you and you don't find it. And please check out the Facebook page, Pop Anime Comics, the website, popanimecomics.com, and the Twitter account, at Pop Anime Comics. Until next time, everybody, have a great week.